If you have your Bible, if you would turn to Mark 15, we're just going to look at a couple of verses this evening. Thank you, Adam, praise team, musicians, and Regen for leading us in worship. It's remarkable to see in our culture where most of our youth are unchurched to see our youth up here singing the new song. My prayer is they'll be singing that new song for the next 30, 45, 60, 75 years. It's a blessing to hear them, though. In Mark 15, verses 33 to 34, Mark writes, And when the sixth hour had come, that's noon, there was darkness over the whole land, until the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's pray. Father, we come to a text that speaks to the greatest tragedy in the history of the world. When the only perfectly good man was put to death for other people's transgressions. And yet we recognize that this greatest tragedy issued into the greatest triumph. And we thank you for that. That explains why we're here tonight. And Lord, tonight as we look at this passage, just for a short time, we pray you would rekindle our love for the Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these words that Jesus cries on the cross uh, are obviously cries of anguish, uh, but they're, they're neither a request to be rescued from the cross, nor a cry of terror itself. No, we, we see here in this passage that the Son of God is being forsaken, and he knew it. He knew that he was being forsaken. Now, tonight, before we approach the table, I want us to consider three questions about this cry. First of all, who forsook Jesus? It's an important question. Uh, the simple answer is everyone forsook Jesus. Um, it would be much easier to ask who didn't. First of all, Jesus was forsaken by his government. Uh, these civil authorities who were designed to protect innocence. But in Mark chapter 15, just a few earlier Verses. It was the Roman soldiers acting on the orders of the Roman governor Pilate who first flogged Jesus and then crucified him. Of course, the Romans had been crucifying criminals for over three centuries. It was the cruelest form of capital punishment, and it was reserved for the worst of the worst. Some 10,000, they estimate. Criminals were crucified over those centuries um, by the Romans. 
You could also say that Jesus was forsaken by his people, the Jews. I mean, they had welcomed him as their king earlier in the week, but then they came to realize this wasn't the kind of king they were looking for. And so they called for his blood and even mocked him as he hung on the cross. But he was also forsaken by his followers, his true disciples. For three years, they had seen the miracles. They had seen the signs. They had seen the love. They had seen the compassion. They had seen his perfection. But when they came to arrest him, they fled the scene, leaving their Savior to die alone and deserted. And so they were, Jesus was forsaken by the Roman officials, the government. He was forsaken by the Jews. He was forsaken by true believers. But if we leave it there, we lose the gospel. We lose the gospel because most fundamentally, Jesus was forsaken by God himself. And it was this, and this alone, that drew forth his anguished cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, many of us know that he is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, as he is dying on the cross. As we saw this morning, the Old Testament prepares us for the Redeemer. And Jesus saw ultimately that the anguish and the forsakenness that David himself experienced in some form or fashion as he wrote that psalm pointed to the greater suffering of the greater Davidic king. And so by the end of the psalm, though, and this is the good news, by the end of the Psalm 22, not only has this righteous sufferer been delivered, but the deliverance has resulted in the deliverance of his people, Israel, and the nations who are brought to worship Yahweh as a result of that deliverance. But here's the question. What does it mean to be forsaken? What does it mean? It means to be abandoned. It, in one sense, we can't understand that. As scholar W.G.T. Shedd has written, it has no parallel in human consciousness. Now, we can understand his physical agony. Uh, 20 years ago or so, uh, there was uh, the Passion of the Christ that came out. And, and what was emphasized there was his physical agony. And, and in some sense, we can, we can resonate with that because all of us have experienced some kind of physical agony, certainly not to the extent that Jesus did, but we, we resonate with that. Uh, even the emotional grief that he experienced on the cross. All of us, in some form or fashion, have been hurt by others. In fact, some of us perhaps have been forsaken and betrayed by others. And so, in some sense, we can resonate with his, his emotional grief. But to be utterly forsaken, what does that mean? It's in answering this question that comes... The answer to that brings us to the deepest depths of theology. Uh, to begin with, the God-forsakenness of Jesus that he experienced 
isn't merely the absence of God's favor and his blessings. It, it's certainly that, but it's more than that. Um, this forsakenness is the positive infliction of God's wrath on sin. Indeed, on the cross, as Jesus is dying, Jesus is bearing the penalty for our sin. Now, when you understand that the, the Bible is clear that sin makes God angry. I've heard preachers today say God's not angry. Well, he wasn't angry until sin entered the world. But sin makes God angry. Now, it's not the anger that we normally express. Uh, our anger is inconsistent. It is self-centered. It's volatile. It's capricious. Uh, the things that shouldn't make us angry make us angry. And the things that should make us angry don't make us angry. They make us laugh. No, this anger was a, is a holy anger. It, it's a righteous anger. This means that on the cross, before Jesus experienced physical death, and he certainly experienced physical death, he endured spiritual death in his God-forsakenness. Jesus died spiritually before he died physically. He experienced in the consciousness of his person what it means for God to be opposed to those who are by nature objects of his wrath. Even though he did not become a sinner on the cross, our sin was imputed to him and he experienced the wrath for our sin. Most importantly, all this means is that Jesus experienced the second death or eternal death even before he experienced the physical death. This is a, an unending death of eternal Conscious torment as finite creatures attempt for all eternity to pay an infinite death against an infinite and holy God. John describes that in Revelation 20. Starting in verse 11, then I saw a, a great white throne and him who was seated on it and from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's what Jesus is experiencing even before the first death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. It's this final judgment that all unbelievers will experience that Jesus endured. Not in extent of time, but in fullness of experience. In the fullness of his experience. And, and that's the point in, in our passage in verse 33 when it says that darkness covered the land from the 
sixth until the ninth hour. The day of the Lord had arrived and it was crashing down on the Son of God. Judgment is crashing down on the Son of God. This darkness is the darkness of judgment. Indeed, Amos had prophesied of this some 800 years earlier. When he says in Amos 8, on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon. Isn't that interesting? He'll make the sun go down at noon on that day and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. Listen, I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a final, like a bitter day. And that day came on the son, the only son. Why did God forsake Jesus? In short, so that he could remain holy and just and not have to forsake us. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Mark, for that word for us. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.